Now, with that said, today we're back in Ephesians 6, and we've spent a pretty significant amount of time in this text talking about the armor of God. And there's a series, a slew of teachings online here, so while each one of these teachings is absolutely designed to stand on its own, remember they're more powerful if they are connected to the other ones. And you can find the majority of those teachings online if you've not listened to them yet. They certainly feed each other. And one of the benefits of having the bigger overview of this section of teaching is to see how these you know, metaphorical pieces of spiritual armor fit and work together. And I'll give you a great example of this. Several months ago when we studied the buckle of truth, I explained that most of the time when we hear the word truth in the Bible, we connect it to the actual Bible. But I promised you that we would specifically talk about the Bible when we got to the section that we're in today, the sword of the spirit. The idea behind that first belt of truth that we talked about many weeks ago is that everything that followed is meant to be hung on it. In other words, as we move through this text, when we start reading about things like God becomes our righteousness so that we don't have to embrace self-righteousness or believe that we are you know, so far from God that we cannot find him because of the, the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness, it solves both of those problems, sort of self-deprecation and self-righteousness. When we talked about uh, the significance of the gospel of peace, how the act of what Jesus did on the cross not only redeems us, but allows us to, to dwell in his peace, and the readiness of our feet to share it with others is important. All of these elements, I'm not naming them all, obviously, but all of these pieces of armor are sort of hung on that belt. In other words, we as believers are trying to get to the place where we deeply believe they are true and that they matter. And so today, we're continuing our Standing Firm Armor of God series by talking about the importance of the Bible in our lives. And so far, we've, we've really identified how each piece of armor that God gives us, it helps us to stand firm, big picture here anyways, is it helps us to stand firm against the various trials and difficulties that we face in life, the, the fiery darts of the enemy, no matter what the source of tension is. The armor of God helps us to deal with those things by helping us to become more like Jesus. Every single piece of armor we've been given is not given to us for some abstract spiritual reason. It equips us in a way that helps us to understand and apply something very significant about what Jesus has done for us. And we, we could rightly summarize that the armor of God is a, a tool that God gives us to help our minds the way we think. We talked about the helmet of salvation, our emotions, the way we feel in life, and our actions, the language I like to use here. It's our head, our hearts, and our hands. The, we can rightly summarize this as God giving us these tools so that we can reflect the priorities and values of Jesus in those areas of life. And if you think about your mind, your heart, and your hands, that covers this, the, the whole of life. What we think, the way we feel, and what we do is a big part of who we are and how we live. So this armor is supposed to shape us into the image of Jesus in those areas. And I really want this becoming more like Jesus truth. I want to sort of drive this a little harder today. I want this becoming more like Jesus truth to be the driving factor in how we approach what Paul calls the sword of the spirit, which he clearly defines as the word of God. Or in more common terms, we call this the Bible today. And, and here's why I think this is important that we we let the cause of Jesus drive how we shape or how he shapes our lives. In Christianity, this is an analogy I use quite a bit. When, when we say that we believe something, it should create in us a true cause and effect. The very nature of our faith is that because God is something and God has done something, 
He gives us the ability to now be something in him and do something for him. That's a great way to understand any teaching in the Bible. God is, so for example, because God is a God of love, God loves. So God just doesn't love because he likes to do it. God loves because he is love. And when we apply these truths to our lives, what that means is those of us who follow Jesus now have the love of God indwelling our bodies. And because of that, we should love like Jesus did and does today. And you can apply that to any command of the Bible. It doesn't matter where you flip in the Bible. If you look at who God is, what he has done, who we are, now what we do, that connection point is very strong. And so this cause and effect idea is important. And so I'll give you some very practical ones, uh, some other examples. If you believe that Jesus deeply loves you, this is a cause. We spent some, a lot of time actually talking about the cross over these past weeks, how it's one of the greatest examples of the, God, uh, the love God has for us. If you believe Jesus deeply loves you, that's a cause, and that should shape how you love others. There should be an effect. And if there isn't one, something is likely incongruent in between how we understand what Jesus has done for us and who he is in our lives and how that applies to life. Or if you believe, this is another very common one, you know, we believe one of the reasons Jesus goes to the cross is he's, he's generous, not just with his time, but with his life. Think about that. He, he gives up his life, the ultimate sacrifice, so that we can know God. He serves others in sacrificial ways. If we believe these things about Jesus, then our hearts, as we follow Jesus, should somewhat be compelled to do the same for others. There, there should be an effect. The cause of Jesus' generosity should at some point begin shaping the way we understand our lives, our time, our talents, our finances, our gifts, and our abilities. So when it comes to today's message, and this is such a central one, if, if, if you and I believe that the Bible matters, and we know this, we're going to talk about this for several weeks, so I can't get to everything today, but I promise over the course of the next weeks we'll address a lot of the things I'm going to mention in brief this morning. If you and I believe that Jesus values the Bible, if we believe that he actually read the Bible, and speaking regularly from the Old Testament scriptures, he refers to his authority coming from God, and also the fact that these scriptures he teaches and reads when he is on earth, that this authority is not even his authority. He's saying, look, the words I read to you at that point in history from this Old Testament, these are the very words of God. If we believe that he lives his life by the scripture, all those passages where he says, like, you've heard it said, those are the places where he's referring to other places in the scripture. If we believe that, if, we, if we, we've talked about Jesus so much over the past couple of months, and if we actually believe that Jesus has a place for the scripture in his life while he's on earth, and commands us, not just him, but here Paul, to, to value the scripture, the truth of the Bible, then what that means is there should be some effect with that too. And Paul calls us to that effect here in, in Ephesians. If we truly trust in the God who's given us all these other pieces of armor, in the same way that Jesus trusted in that God, then the effect, Paul says, is that we should carry the sword of the Spirit. We should, we should walk around with it as both an offensive tool and a defensive tool in life. The cause of how God values the Bible is an effect or should have an effect on our lives in the way that we value it. Now, today's teaching, it's my hope, will clearly show us that if you, you really want to know who Jesus is and discover God's purposes for your life, then you have to read the Bible. You have to make that a priority in your life. Everything that I talk about here every week, while I elaborate on it in many ways, all of these truths are sourced from the Bible. How do we know how to explain? How did I know how to explain the breastplate of righteousness? 
Well, it's done by doing a pretty exhaustive study of how the Bible teaches the idea of righteousness in the kingdom of God. Even every piece of armor, all the truth, the, the belt assumptions we have every week about this stuff, they're not assumptions that we just grab out of the air. They're assumptions that are founded in objective truth that we read about in the Bible. And it is in the scripture that God addresses most of the significant matters that we want addressed in our lives. Who we are, do we have value, where are we going, what is my purpose? These are the questions the human heart have been crying about for, for years. And I mean crying in a positive sense. We cry out to know these things. And I'm here to tell you that the scripture addresses these things. And so over these next weeks, what I want to do is sort of take a question about the scripture and, and answer it. And the one we're going to be looking at today rather naturally, if this is going to flow in a chronological way. It's a foundational one. I simply want to talk a little bit about what we actually believe the Bible is, because there's so much authority prescribed to it. Everything we do and say as a church, we're trying to derive that from the Bible. It is truly the source of all authority for who we are in God and what we do, because that is such a significant role, it plays such a significant role in our lives. I don't want to just assume that we all understand, know, or even agree with what the Bible says the Bible is. And all you have to do is survey the Christian culture at large today to realize that we can all claim the title of Christian, but have radically diverse views on how we understand the role, the significance, and the importance of the Bible. And so the question I simply want to kick around a little bit this morning is, what is the Bible? And this leads me to the main truth that I want to share with you this morning. I, I also want you to know that... Um, I would love to treat what we're going to do over the next month like a, like a seminary classroom lecture. It would be a lot easier to do it that way. But in order for this to sort of hit the marks of what we call preaching, it cannot be disseminated to you in that way. And so what I want to say is I'm going to address a lot of stuff, but I want you to know if there's something that I don't address over the course of the next couple of weeks, I really want you to feel free to write that on a connection card and turn that in. And I will make sure to try to work that stuff in um, unless you want to treat this like a college class, which I don't because I want to have lunch here in about 20 minutes. OK, so we'll treat this like a preaching exercise with a didactic feel. But please let me know if there's something that you would like me to talk more about or get into that I haven't addressed, um, go ahead and let me know that and I will really do my best to bring that up at some point over the next month. Okay, so the main idea that I want to talk about is this. When we ask what the Bible is, the Bible, we could define this or answer this question in a lot of ways, but I want to give us the sort of alpha, alpha truth here. The Bible is what God has given us so that we can truly know, love, and follow him. We talk a lot about experience and relationship with Jesus in the Christian faith and the way we understand that experience, especially in the modern world. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks. You know, we went from about like 50 years ago where truth defined experience. What's happened in the modern world, and this is not the only time it's happened in the course of history, but it's certainly the, the spirit of the age we live in now, and that is that experience defines reality. And so what's happened, especially when it comes to the Christian faith, is there are a lot of people walking around based on experiences, then creating truths in light of them uh, about God. And that's okay if that truth actually lines up with a truth that is authoritatively established in the Bible. I'm not saying that experience can't lead us to truth. I'm just saying that if we just have experience and see it simply as truth in the Christian faith without knowing the truth, we are actually very likely to start creating truths about God that are not truths. It's one of the greatest fiery darts of the devil, you might say. Many months ago, we talked about the primary scheme of the enemy is not the rampant distortion of truth, at least in the Western world it's not. It's the subtle distortion of truth. It's the slight tweaking of very significant beliefs that get us off kilter. So it isn't that 
in our world, our hearts are inclined to, or the enemy is inclined to tell you that what God says is not true. For those of us that really love Jesus, that's going to seem silly. We're going to be too discerning to not to affirm that. But it's very easy or much easier for us to have subtle tweaks in how we understand truth. And the way we feel at times, which there's nothing wrong with feelings. I just said we're created as emotional people. That's one of the ways God has designed us. Uh, Our feelings, when they begin to shape truth, if they're shaping truths disconnected from the Bible, it's very subtle because it's much easier to live our lives in light of the way we feel. And that can be somewhat deceptive at times instead of believing that everything God said is, is not true. That's a blatant lie that most of us in the faith wouldn't buy. But the subtle distortion of truth, which we're going to begin talking about over these next weeks, how we view the role of the Bible, really is a way for us to, to get off base. And so I want to begin this morning by, by clarifying in a handful of ways what the Bible is and isn't. And the reason we have to do this is because in both of our, cult, our culture and even in the church, I wish I could say we were just talking about people that you know are not connected to Christianity, But I actually think the greatest challenge we have today in the modern world is how other Christians view the Bible or don't view any, uh, prescribe any significance to it at all. There really can be a great amount of confusion about what the Bible is. And so you do have people outside of the Christian camp. I, um, for probably like five hours a month or so, I I watch a lot of stuff like on on YouTube. I try to stay engaged with with culture and politics. And I actually, you you know my take on atheists. I really love them, actually. There's a handful that I respect. And I was doing a little bit of listening to a guy named Richard Dawkins, who I've quoted in this room a couple of times before. He's one of the few atheists that, that truly is an atheist. And when you listen to him talk about the Bible, I mean, he believes it's like one of the other things destroying the world. Like, he believes that the, the world would be better without it. And, you know, if you get rid of the Bible and the truth that it proclaims, what that means is we also really wouldn't have a place for Jesus in the world anymore. And so I say this to say, I, I find it actually very intriguing um, listening to these folks. And I also find the banter back and forth with this as interesting. There are people outside of the Christian camp that really do see the book like a hardened atheist. They see it as a book of antiquated rules and and myths rather than some form of Christ-centered story that reveals God's plan of redemption to the world. And consequently, they don't understand how to interpret the Bible, and they do so very poorly. They don't have the proper literary approach to know what we believe it means, and they see it in in a distorted way. That makes perfect sense. And this misunderstanding, while it's certainly in the the non-believing community, we might say, it seems to be increasingly true of those who claim to follow Jesus too. And this is where this becomes very applicable for us, not just in the way that we understand the Bible, but in the way that we speak to it or speak about it in the world. It's a very common statistic. I've shared these with you before that we might almost say we're moving into majority numbers now based on research entities like the Barna Group. Uh, Very common that many Christians do not read the Bible at all, and if they do read it, a great many of them don't know how to read it. And that's why it's very easy to hear people that love Jesus say things from the Bible, and maybe you've been in the Bible for quite some time, or you have a, a bigger picture of the way that God works in the world. You hear these things, and they are really, really out of line, yet they are literally quoting verses from the Bible. And the challenge with that is ideas like the context, the The bigger narrative of what the Bible is teaching is the way you've understood this verse in in, uh, connection with the character of God. All of these things can create challenges for us. We either don't read the Bible or we approach it in a a problematic way. Like, the Bible is packed with literature. In fact, many of the books 
are qualified as literature. For example, the epistles, what I'm talking from uh, uh, today, Ephesians, these are letters that Paul wrote. So we read them and interpret them as letters, much different than the way you would read a gospel, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, which is much more in a story form. And so if you were to read the Gospels like a letter, it would start not making sense. Or if you were to read uh, an epistle like the Gospel, you'd say, well, there's not really enough story in the epistle. What's going on here? In the modern world, it would sort of be like, I don't know, think about like on a very important occasion in your life, an anniversary, a birthday or something. You know, you write somebody a really awesome, meaningful, emotional letter, a card, right? That's, That's like a personal letter. That would be appreciated. But imagine if on your 50th anniversary, you walked up to your husband or wife and you handed them a newspaper article and said, here, some, something about the idea of love, and you just handed them that. That would be received very differently, and that on the couch most likely is where you'd be, right? Because the, the literature, while it might be talking about a certain idea, it's, a, it's different. A newspaper article, a blog, an editorial is not the same as a handwritten letter. And so the Bible is, is packed with these types of literatures. And all that I want to say here is that our understanding of these things, and this is why our faith has to be much more than just 35 minutes in a room on Sunday with teaching. Our, our connection to community groups, our desire to disciple and be discipled, understanding how to read the Bible, uh, we understand it to a degree in here, but you can never, never process the Bible in a room like this in a way that you can in a room much smaller than this, for example, in the way our community groups flesh stuff out. Because you can address these ideas in much more significant and pointed ways. You can ask questions and, and throw stuff back and forth. And not that that's out of sorts here, but it's just not the normal way that we function. And so we have to understand the Bible is written in a certain way. And when we read it in the way it was written, it makes much more sense. And what we want to do is make sure that the, the way we derive conclusions about God, faith, and life we want to make sure that they're drawing us closer to God because we understand this as opposed, uh, as, as opposed to pushing us away from God because we're misunderstanding this. And while we tend to think this is very common today, um, C.S. Lewis would call this chronological snobbery, and I heard Richard Dawkins, probably the most famous living atheist alive, say this in a talk a week ago. While we tend to only think that modern people have questioned the importance of the Bible in their life. The truth is it's always been this way. What, what Lewis meant by chronological snobbery is like, well, people 2,000 years ago were very ignorant and silly. They weren't as scientifically developed as we are. So they needed these hokey religious ideas to establish life. But the problem with those things is like when you look at the Roman culture and, and the Greeks and the uh, evolution of our modern political systems and the way we understand reason and thought, these were the same people wrestling with these ideas. And so he calls it chronological snobbery. It's, it's because it's actually a reality and not understanding history. Like the very world we live in, the Western world, which is which is really sort of steeped in reason, like we want cause and effect and idea. All of this comes from those chronological snobs 2,000 years ago when we look at them this way. All of this has shaped us. And so it isn't like we just got into this issue today where we wonder about the role of the Bible. This has been a question that's been asked anywhere the Bible has been around in whatever phase it's been in. And so from the first century to the 21st century, there have always been differing views and opinions on the role that the scriptures play in a person's life. Some see it as central, some see it as optional, some don't see a need for it at all. And some people truly do think that the Bible's packed with silly riddles, folk tales, and myths. It's like the Lord of the Rings for Christians, that kind of a thing, all right? And so Christian and non-Christian alike have always had diverse opinions. And what is important to know is that while there are no shortage of those opinions floating around today, 
we really should be concerned with what the Bible speaks about the Bible. In other words, we should be concerned with what the faith communicates about the Bible so that we can know and clearly dial into a voice of truth. For example, what does Jesus say about the Bible? This is how we discern things. It isn't necessarily even knowing every voice in the world, although that can be helpful. What is more helpful is for you to know the main voice. And in our faith, that is the voice of Jesus. How, do you, how you understand what he says gives you the ability to discern what is and isn't going on in the world around you. And in a very short form way, the Bible really is like a set of timeless truths that show us how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And this is why I say it, it truly is one big letter. There might be different forms of literature in it, but the story of the Bible, Old and New Testament, is God in, in more deep and meaningful and significant ways revealing himself to the world. And so for those of us who do follow God, these cannot just be words. They, they can be treated as just words, which we ignore or pay partial attention to, or we can be selective about the words we, we like because they make us feel good and absolutely act like the other ones that are challenging, don't, you know, that don't make us feel good. I, I read this week in a, on a college campus, so I'll spare you the details of it, but uh, there was a sermon given about love. And uh, there were some complaints uh, from some of the students that the sermon made them feel bad because they realized there were areas of their life that they were not loving well in. And they, the, the idea behind this is that they wanted these teachings on love to stop. And the response from the faculty was no. One, this is an academic institution, and we want to show up in your mind. But the idea behind progress in life, especially in the Christian faith, is um, there are things in the Bible that are difficult for us to read and understand. Maybe, maybe you get love. Like, maybe you're a very loving person, so you like those passages. But maybe there are other passages, like where God speaks about justice, that are more difficult for you to embrace. This is why it is important that we recognize some authority behind these words, because God desires to shape the whole of our lives, not just the pieces of it that we're comfortable with. These living words are meant to be the rudder, which lead us to salvation in Jesus. They guide our faith. They teach us about what it means for God to love us, how we love him, and certainly how we love other people. And so I like to say that the Bible is like this big compilation of, of life-changing truths about God, and we just call it the Bible. And this tool, this teaching, teachings, it has a history of changing people because God is a God of change. He is revealing himself to us so that we, we can become like his son. And so what is the Bible simply defined? It's a story about how God chose to reveal himself to humanity. And for us, we really have to believe that it is the ultimate source of, of where we understand or get the knowledge and understanding of God about. It is the authority for how we understand, apply, and live out the Christian faith. And the Bible's been written, okay, it's a pretty old book, but one of the interesting things about the way the Bible's been written is there's really no other book in world history that has been written like it. Some of you may know this, but there's 66 books in the Bible, all written by different authors, not every single book by a different author, but the book is really two books, two testaments, with multiple writings from multiple peoples. And we divide this into the Old and the New Testament. And so it's really a big book, made up of smaller books. And one of the important things to know about the way we understand the Bible is we believed it was penned by human authors, but it was given to those authors by God. In the Old Testament, we have the Israelites who have an oral tradition for quite some time, and then they begin to write these teachings down. And in the, the Christian faith, where we get our understanding of the New Testament, the church, all these other things we talk about here, in the, in the New Testament, we, beget, we get more understanding of what, what the Christian faith becomes as, it, as, as the church begins to move around in the world. 
And that's why we say the Bible is really, a, it's a story about how God's working in the world, um, in particular a fallen world. That's the reality of the Bible, and it has to be read as such. The very nature of God continuing to interact with us is that one of the main stories of humanity is that we have a very strong propensity to drift and fall away from God. And one of the great themes of the Bible is God is a God that is fully aware of that. And literally, for two whole testaments, and now the modern world, spends his time pursuing us, calling us back to him. That's why I like to say it's a story of redemption. It's a story about God revealing himself to the world by calling us back to him through Christ. And although people regularly try to reduce the book to you know, antiquated rules, this is the moralism issue we addressed a couple of weeks ago, or some of us, maybe we like going to church, uh, but we don't really feel a need to read the Bible outside of this place. Or maybe we see the Bible as like... Um, like Twitter, meaning like we follow the accounts we like, but don't listen to the ones we don't like. And the first time we read the Bible and something challenges us, like God really begins to do what he promised he would do, shape us into the image of Jesus. We, we unfollow that tweet, whatever the version of it is in the Bible. All of these things sort of show the way that we value or devalue the Bible. Because the way God cho chooses to work in our lives, one of the main ways anyways, is the Bible. And so one of the marks that we are truly following Jesus, one of the marks that we're wearing the armor of God is when we begin to deeply value God's word. And I use the word begin here because God is a God of grace. And so maybe you're here today and you don't value the Bible at all. Like you don't devalue it, you just don't value it. That's okay. This is why we do this stuff. Uh, this is why God speaks about these things. Maybe you're a person who has valued the word for a very long time, like you have a very strong opinion about it, and you really believe it's true. In this case, what I find the challenge is, it's sort of like when we're young in the faith, we have zeal without knowledge. Like we really want to, uh, you know, we want the world to know about Jesus, and we don't really know a lot, but we're very, you know, authoritative in the things we say, and that's a bit of a challenge because we can, we can speak maybe with a level of Christian ignorance that is not helpful, so we're excited without a lot of truth. But as we grow in the faith, what happens is, is we, we tend to have a lot of knowledge without zeal. And so I've met people that love, they're really committed to the Bible. They just have no desire to help anybody else understand how to read it or to disciple somebody in that discipline, and that's, that's no good. And so if you are a person who has never studied the Bible or you're studying it and you really know how to do it, one of the, the litmus tests here to, to see how we understand the Bible is, one, do you care about it? And two, if you do, do you actually see yourself now as a person who's been, who's been set aside by God to generationally speak this into other people's lives? Do you, do you speak to people without this discipline in their lives and have a, a burden, not a judgment, but a burden to help them arrive at the same place you have? It's important to know that, that pursuing Jesus through his scripture, it cannot just be a belief that we hold on to. It has to be a value, and by a value, I mean it has to shape life. It has to guide life. It has to have an effect in life. In other words, kind of beginning where I began this morning, our belief about the Bible, like if, if we really believe all that stuff we have on our website and the fact that Christians have died to get the Bible translated and sent around the world, if we really believe this stuff, it should have an imperfect but serious effect on our life, faith, and view of the world. And by imperfect, I don't mean that the Scripture's got a problem. I mean the way we process this stuff over 40 or 50 years of following Jesus is not necessarily going to be the cleanest, neatest thing. This is not a sanitized sermon that I'm giving you this morning. To really value the Bible means that we are inviting God into the messy areas of our lives. And some of these areas that are messy, we don't even know that they're messy. We'll only know when we, we really are at a place where we're... we're frankly, 
permitting God to communicate to us, where we're not resisting him or fighting him. We really are at a place where we're, we're open to the idea of what he wants to do through the word. And what this means is we, we should want to make this a priority to help everyone know God through the scriptures. In environments like this, in our weekly community group meetings, in one-on-ones, there's a multitude of ways throughout history that this has happened. But I want you all to know that it's important that it doesn't just happen in a room like this. And this is, I think, the greatest problem with American Christianity. I have said for years that American Christianity, for those of us committed to it in any way, we no longer see it as like a, a, a steady course of food we eat throughout the week. The weekend worship experience has become like an all-you-can-eat buffet. And what I simply mean is a lot of people, their contact with Scripture is in a room like this. And according to modern statistics, the average Christian attends worship like 1.8 times every five weeks or so. So think about that. As Christians attend worship less, they have less of a contact with the Word. A lot of them do anyways. And so it cannot be removed from a room like this, but it cannot be relegated to a a room like this. The Bible really has to affect every area of life. And this is important because if you look at movements throughout history or the places where God really seems to be doing pretty profound things, there's usually a set of metrics that are there. And one of them is always a commitment to Scripture. In other words, there's a commitment to understand the God of the Bible and the way the God of the Bible has revealed himself to us. These are the places God favors moving in. And in our lives, if we want to see him work in our lives, that we should have the same attitude. We should want our, our hearts to be a sort of soil that, is, that really deeply desires to know God. Because I promise you, the desire to know God, like God is not stingy. He does not withhold himself from us. He wants to reveal himself to us. So the more that we pursue his truth, the more likely you are to, to, to catalytically receive it, see it, understand it, and apply it. And so if you, if you want to stand firm in the ways of Jesus, this is why this, this sort of closing section is almost like a summary point to the whole thing. We open with truth and end with it. If you want to stand firm in the ways of Jesus... And the reason why it's important to focus on the truth and not all the ways we stand firm is because if we spent the rest of our lives in this room, I, I could not highlight all of the challenges that life will throw at you. There is an endless litany of things that will challenge us in this life. We cannot focus on that. What we have to do is focus on the Jesus of the Bible, the truth of the Bible, because those truths can help us to stand firm against any obstacle in life. If we focus on obstacles, what tends to happen is we, well, maybe we get equipped in one obstacle or against one obstacle, but then there's 65 other obstacles that develop over the course of your life. Knowing how a truth applies to an obstacle is a much better understanding than focusing on the obstacle. Or in the Jesus words, it would be something like, you know, should I give you a fish or give you the fishing pole and teach you how to fish? This is the idea. When we, when we have a fishing pole of truth in our life, we can fish in various ways. When we simply focus on every problem we have, I think we can get very myopic and miss out on the real truth that God wants us to know him in deep and meaningful ways and wants to manifest himself in those circumstances. And so simply put, we should desire to grow in Jesus by reading the Bible. And we should desire to help others learn that too. For those of us that are more developed in that, in that discipline, we should want to pass that on. Because one of the things that we're trying to help people know as Christians and to pass on to those of you who are making disciples, those of you who are pouring your lives into other people, 
is that, this is going to sound hard, I'm just going to say it, you can't be a fully devoted follower of Jesus under heaven if you try to follow him without the Bible. You can't say anything about Jesus or know anything about Jesus if you disconnect yourself from the things Jesus said about himself and did. And I know that that sounds really harsh, and I don't mean it to be, but it is true. And maybe some of you are asking, well, why is that so? Why, why can't my experience about Jesus be disconnected from, from the truth of Jesus? And if you look at some of the popular and modern movements of Christianity, especially in our country today, a lot of them are highly experiential. In fact, sometimes people have experiences with God and Jesus that are like directly contradicted in the Bible. And you got to wonder, like, where, where does that end? I'll tell you where it ends. It's somewhere, somewhere in abuse, typically. Because when you, when you start having all of these objective truths about how God wants you to act and treat other people, and they slowly or gradually disconnect themselves from the actual way God wants you to act and treat other people, you're very likely to see an increase in abuse. It gets very easy to begin treating people in ways that are not the way God would like you to treat other people, or even understandings about your, uh, yourself. A, a very common one I talk about is how we understand our own self-worth. You know, we live in a world, we've already talked with individualism a couple of weeks ago, but we live in a world that basically says we should derive our self-worth from the opinion of ourselves. And that makes good sense if you're really confident in yourself, and some people are, but for the people that are not confident in themselves, they can't derive self-worth from themselves. So they, they, they don't have worth. They, at least they feel like they don't have worth. How do we know that you are valuable as a, a human, no matter where you are in life? Well, one of the main reasons is because you've been made in the image of God. And he says objectively, like, it is true that you are valuable in my eyes. And so these truths really do matter. And this is why I, I want to at least address why it is important to back up that, that we really cannot fully follow Jesus without having the Bible in our lives. This is because when we say we truly love Jesus, it is this idea that I like to communicate about voice. It means that we, are, we crown him king when we say we follow him, but then we oftentimes relegate his voice to a multitude of voices, or maybe we don't listen to his voice at all. To, to read the scripture means we are disciplining our lives to elevate the voice of our risen king above all else. And what that does is it gives us an objective way to begin determining what is and isn't true in the, in the myriad of voices that present themselves to us throughout life. People, opinions, blogs, news channels, uh, cable news, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. I'm ready to drive my car off the bridge now after I get to the social media sites. You've heard my opinion. All of these things tell us to do something and to be something. How do we sort the voice from the voice? Well, it's by focusing on the scripture. This is a set of teachings which Jesus himself says are given to us in multi a multitude of places. They're given to him by God, who is the author, perfecter, and finisher of all life as we know it. And when we begin to see this truth, the consistency of it in the scripture, it, it becomes something that is, that is powerful. And I like to share, there's a few we'll talk about over these next weeks, but one of the most profound things that I find that, that Jesus says to us is found in uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus tells the disciples, this will be behind me, Jesus tells the disciples, keep in mind, like, he's about to ascend. Like, this is pretty much where we're at right now. Like, his earthly work is done. His very last words to us are, are these. And I've used these, these words to talk about mission before. But I want you to really focus in on what he focuses on, what the part of the mission is. He's, Jesus tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This really matters because teaching them, which simply means all those who will follow in the footsteps of the disciples, we're in that lineage today, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, how do we know what he has commanded us? How do we teach what he has left us? Well, we do this because of what he's given us in the this, in this scripture. We cannot actually oblige the Great Commission. The last words Jesus gives us, he says, go tell the world about me and teach them to, to obey what I have taught. Teach them to know what their life is like in light of a, of, a, of a Savior who loves them. We don't know what any of that stuff is unless we have these teachings written down someplace. And we, are, we should be thankful that we do have them written down. We have them in the Scripture. We know all of this because we have a Bible. And that's why it is important for not only us as Christians, but we as a church to be devoted to this. Because the Holy Spirit, we'll get to the sword of the Spirit in, in another day, but what this verse is teaching us is that the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding us of the truths of the Bible. It is, it is His job. One of the main roles the Holy Spirit has in our lives is to illuminate truth and highlight truth and convict our hearts when we are without it and to encourage us when we feel like we can't live up to it. He is constantly... The, the Spirit is constantly working in our lives so that we can grow and mature in the faith. And that is truly where this cause and effect relationship matters. And this is how we'll wrap up today. When we pick up the sword of the Spirit, when we read it, when we apply it, when we let it challenge and change us, something remor remarkable can happen. God slowly but surely, He keeps His promise to make us into the image of Jesus. There's a direct touch point from the scripture. And so as we move into response time, let's pray that as a church family, we would really continue to be shaped by the Bible. No matter where you find yourself now with the Bible, it's my prayer that you would genuinely um, think about that today. That we would grow in our love for Jesus, each other, and the work of his church. All truths communicated to us in the Bible. And as we do, remember a lot of who we are as a church, a lot of who you have become in Jesus, a lot of the truths and the grace that God has poured out to us in experience, the way he's physically worked in our lives, all he's doing is remaining true to the ways he promised he would work in our lives in the Bible. He is keeping his own word, no pun intended. Our understanding of these things and our, our, uh, our, our morphing into these things is because of what God says in the Bible. And so as we close today, ask yourself a simple question. Are you reading the Bible? Is the sword of the Spirit, is Jesus' Jesus's word the ultimate voice in your life, or is he just one voice of many? And I want to encourage you, if you have questions about the Bible or the things you want to follow up that I didn't touch on today, let us know that in those cards. Let this be the beginning of a dialogue about where the Bible, uh, what the role of the Bible plays in, in your life. And in general, I want you to ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about his scripture and the role of it, and what is it you will do about it as you leave this place?